Today's School PR Drive Time is brought to you by Peach Jar. Welcome to another episode of School PR Drive Time, a podcast produced by NCSPRA. I'm Dr. Stacia Harris, a member of the NCSPRA media team, and I'm the Director of Communications for Buncombe County Schools. Joining me today as my co-host is Ellen Boyd. She's the Executive Director of NCSPRA. Ellen? Yeah, and in today's episode, we are diving into the topic of great storytelling through great writing. Joining us is Christina Beam, Marketing Specialist with New Hanover County Schools. Her article, Still She Rose, is a 2022 Blue Ribbon Award and Best of the Best recipient. Another one of her articles, You Saved My Life, Forest Hills Teacher Rescue Student from Choking, was a Best of the Best writing winner for 2021. So Christina has racked up two consecutive Best of the Best writing honors. And as one of our back-to-back winners, we wanted to pick our brain a little bit and and kind of see the 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 behind-the-scenes work and the strategy and the tactics that she uses uh, to to not only be a great writer, but also leverage that skill in order to promote her school system. So we have lots to get to today. Let's start the show. Hello, Christina, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So we want to jump right into it. And first of all, congratulations on your article being named a best of the best winner. And uh, of course, we will link in the show notes, um, the articles that we'll be referencing as part of this conversation. So to get us started, uh, we want to start with your 2022 best of the best winner. Tell us a little bit about that piece, a little bit of backstory. Sure. Um, That started with a principal emailing me and telling me that she had a teacher assistant who worked at her school, which is a pre-K center, and had been there for 30 years and had also attended that school as a kid in the early 60s. And she thought it would be an interesting story that she had had this sort of cyclical experience within um, the same school building. Um, And I found out that this teacher assistant was Black. And because I know the community, um, you know, we're in New Hanover County, I'm in Wilmington, I knew that at that time, the schools were still segregated. So the Brown versus Board of Education ruling was in 1953. Our schools in New Hanover County did not integrate until 1968 when we were forced by court order. So I sort of had a little bit of that context in my mind when I went to interview her. Um, And I spent about two hours interviewing her and learned that her story is one that touches nearly every aspect of Black life, you know, in the last two centuries. So she had a great grandmother who was born into slavery. Her mother and grandmother were Gullah Geechee from South Carolina. She had experienced, you know, obviously segregated schools and community. She had witnessed riots in the 60s and 70s. And so being able to sort of take that deep dive with her into her personal history, let me use her story as a lens through which to sort of look at Black history in our community. And this was in February, it was Black History Month. And so I used... um, her own family photos that she provided. And I also did a lot of research in our local archives to bring up historical photos from old yearbooks and newspapers and sort of fill that out um, visually. And I think it showed, or I tried to make it show that history can be really deeply personal and that what is historical, you know, isn't necessarily completely in the past, that there are people in our school community today who have experienced these things and have really valuable perspectives about um, about moving forward. So that story, like just spending that time with her and getting to tell that story, it was really one of the greatest you know honors of my career. So I was I was really excited to get to share it and really honored um, by NCSPRA's award. 
Awesome. And Christina, I also want to have you talk about your winning article from 2021. Um, It's called You Saved My Life. This was an absolutely incredible story of how a teacher saved the life of her kindergarten student. However, the way you brought it to life was simply amazing. I mean, if I had been writing this article, I probably would have turned a few nice phrases in there somewhere, but it would have basically been a matter-of-fact, great story of a teacher who saved a student's life. But somehow you dug a little deeper and truly found the story. You brought it to life and captured it in a way that absolutely captivates the reader and evokes emotion from the very first syllable. Tell us how you find that story within a story and turn a good subject into something really special. Those were really kind words, Ellen. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this uh, kindergarten teacher who had been a a nursing assistant before she went back to school to get her teaching degree um, was in the classroom during snack time and one of her students um, started choking on a on some chips and she had to give him the Heimlich maneuver and really did save his life right in the classroom. Um, And so that's, that is just a great story on its own. But I think what I really tried to bring to that one was voice. And I I hope that it like speaks to the importance of voice that, um, you know, I don't modify or correct people's quotes. I really want them to be heard and I want their unique voices to come through. And I think that that's what resonates with readers. So like, when I was talking to Trisha Toes, who was the educator, you know, she was saying, um, you know, I couldn't help but think, what if I was, what if I hadn't been able to do that? And what if something went wrong? I love these babies so much. It was so emotional for me. So she's speaking, you know, from an educator's perspective. But when I interviewed this little um, six-year-old boy, you know, <laughs> he said, when I had my choked time, you know, I went out of breath and it felt like I almost died. And he, he was describing like how Miss Toes had saved his life. And then he said, um, you know, that now he's banned from chips because chips were what, what he choked on. And like, he said, my mom said, I can't have them. My Nana, my auntie, every in my family said, I can't have no more chips because I choked on one. And it's just like, um, you know, really like giving giving voice to students and teachers, I think in general is really important. But um, I think that that like using their actual quotes um, kind of brought them brought them to life, I hope. And yeah, they, they really did. And I really encourage we are going to have these articles in the show notes. Please, folks, go and, and read these articles because I reread the, the one this morning about you saved my life and the tears were streaming down my face again um, because she just did such a magnificent job of just pulling you right in and putting you right there. You know, the other thing that I'll mention, I guess, about both of those stories is that I did not interview those um, teachers during school hours. So a lot of times they'll offer um, for me to come by during planning period or they'll say like, I can get someone to cover my class. But, you know, if it's a story about like literacy instruction or something more straightforward, that works fine. But if you really want them to be able to sink into the experience of being interviewed, then um, I think it's helpful to try to find a time where their attention is not being pulled away by students in the school environment. So like the first story, Angela Henry, I interviewed her after school in the school library. And then um, with Miss Toes, actually like called her in the evening when she was at home and we spent a while talking and then, and then I went to visit her classroom the next day. But I just find having been a classroom instructor myself that you're, 
your mind is in a different place when you're in school. And I think that if it's a story like this, where you really want them to be able to tap into the emotion of what happened, that it's helpful to, to step out of those school hours or environment. And and I wanted to uh, pause for a moment and and have you tell us a little bit about your background. Um, so you have a background as an educator. Um, and I have a, a, both Ellen and I have journalism backgrounds uh, before we we t- took our turn in in school PR. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you feel like it informs how you do what you do now. Yeah. So I um, I actually started as a journalist as well. I was like a small town newspaper reporter on the education beat um, right out of college, and I did that work for about five years, you know, covering school board meetings and um, doing feature stories and covering referenda and that sort of thing. Um, And then um, I worked in a university setting doing public relations and then also in a K-12 school district. And for both of those positions, I was a one woman show. Um, And then my family relocated here to North Carolina about six years ago. And I started working as a teacher assistant in the school that my daughter was in. So I was in the kindergarten classroom for three years. And I do feel like that really like informed my, <laughs> my perspective on like what happens in the schools on the ground level. And then also just gave me, you know, a lot more empathy, I think, um, you know, in terms of what educators are, are experiencing. So. <laughs> Can you give us a little bit of insight about how you find the stories to, to tell? Yeah. Um, so I think a big thing is I've learned like not to expect the stories to come to me. I was like, when I was a beat reporter, you know, every day you're on deadline and um, sometimes you have a meeting to cover and sometimes you just have to go out and, and find that story yourself. And so I've tried to bring that um sort of attitude to this position as well. I always have my ear to the ground. Like every time I go to a school, I talk to or introduce myself to the front desk receptionist because that person knows everything about that school. It's students, it's staff, it's families. And I've gotten a lot of good story ideas from that fo- from those folks. And I'll say to them like explicitly, if you know of a student or a teacher or somebody that I should feature, um, reach out to me. Um, but before I started in this position, our county, we had a much smaller staff and like the work that they were doing was not as story forward. And so a big part of it has been just like telling stories in a compelling way so that people know that I want to do that work and they know to reach out to me. So I do an internal newsletter every week and at the top of it, it has a feature story with a photo essay and then other sort of good news and informational items below that. And I'll cross post that feature story on Facebook and on our website. And then in the email, when I'm sending it out to our um, internal audience, I'll say, I I want to share your good news. I want to highlight your work. And if you know of a story, reach out. So we have 45 schools in New Hanover County. And I know there are fascinating people in every one of them. And I really think that just like telling telling good stories regularly um, begets the opportunity to tell more good stories because people know that that's what you want to do and they they're interested in helping you do that work. And it certainly builds trust. It certainly builds, you know, yeah. a library of work where people can go back and look and, and know that they can trust you with, you know, with these sometimes by deeply personal conversations. Yeah. So we had a, a wanted to ask you a question about uh, the art of writing. Um, mm-hmm. for, for those of us who might not be as gifted with writing, how can we build our skills to be able to really draw readers in and really make them feel 
some way about about the story and sort of evoke that emotion that connects people to to the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it starts with the interview, um, and it's interesting. Like I, um, so I know. Ne- I never prepare questions. I definitely used to, like when I was a young reporter, when I first started my career. So if you're new to that, it's um, a great way to prepare, but I like to keep things like really open-ended. So I'll start um, a question with, tell me about, or how did it feel when, or what's the best part of, and I have teenagers, it's like talking to a teenager. So most people will not elaborate naturally, you know, so you want to avoid any question that could be answered with a yes or no, or a safe, like short response. Um, and I've observed a lot of media interviews in my jobs and like the difference between a good interviewer and a bad one, I think is that like a bad one doesn't veer from their questions. So I just sat in on an interview this week and, um, with a local reporter and the subject said something really fascinating that I felt like deserved to be explored a little bit. And the reporter just like looked down at his list of printed out questions and went, right on to the next question that was completely unrelated. And so I think a, a good interviewer really is actively listening and following the lead of the person. And then they they ask questions based on answers. Like they're sort of interested in teasing that thread and seeing where it takes them. And then in terms of actually writing, um, I love to write and tell stories and I get a lot of joy from, from this work, but these are not like personal projects. I'm an employee of my school district and my job is to market the work that we're doing. And so, you know, that being said, I think there's a way to sort of like connect good stories to the values of your organization and to use them as evidence that you're making good on those values, which, you know, without it feeling too like salesy and and icky. So like, I think the best way to do that is like the old writing adage, like to show and not tell, you know, for instance, like I know that one of our values as a district is equity and inclusion. So I can tell you that we care about those things and we provide our students with an inclusive learning environment, you know, or I can show you that like one of our high schools rallied to make a black teenager with Down syndrome their honorary homecoming queen. And I don't have to say, well, look, you know, we care about equity. I can just show you what that looks like. Or I can tell you that we value all of our staff members, no matter their roles. And we see them as part of the team of people, you know, educating our students or I can show you what that looks like by like taking a ride along with a legendary bus driver and sort of documenting the difference that she makes in kids' days. And so when you tell, you don't have to show, you don't have to spell it, you don't have to spell it out. Like people get it. And more than that, they remember it. And like you said, they trust it, you know? And the other thing is, this is really interesting to me that we have a a lot of naysayers in our district, which is probably true in a lot of (laughs) a lot of districts right now in public education, but, um, you know, some of those values that I mentioned are things that people disagree with, like equity work, or they don't believe that you're living up to it, like valuing all of your staff members. And they'll like hop on Facebook and argue with you about it. If you just tell them, Hey, this is what we're about. But if you're making like a good faith effort to uplift good work and, and like bring the receipts as the kids say, (laughs) like people, people aren't going to argue with that. Like even our most vocal naysayers have great things to say about, about our well-told stories. That's a great point. And I'm curious, you know, after you do those interviews and you Mm -hmm. take that time after school or in the evenings or whatever, and you do that great interview, and then you get back to your desk and you're staring at that blank computer screen Mm -hmm. in front of you. 
how do you find that theme? You know, how how do you find that great story within all of that? Um, is there anything that would help the rest of us, you know, find the way to make that story relate? Yeah, um, the lead is really important to me when I'm writing. Like, I'm always kind of thinking of that, even like during the interview or during when I'm photographing people or observing them in their um, work environment. I think people have short attention spans and you need to sort of intrigue and engage them right away or they won't keep reading. So like for feature writing, for me at least, it's like not as much of that inverted pyramid that I practiced in journalism where you sort of front load it with all those important details. It's much more about like setting the scene and making people want to hear the story. And so, that's a big piece of it for me. I feel like once I get that lead in place, the rest sort of like unfolds. And then my style of writing is like not always <laughs> grammatically correct. Like I was an English major and I know all the rules. So I'd like tell myself that I'm allowed to break them. But I often have like short sentences that will like begin with a conjunction or incomplete. And I'll have like sentences that stand alone as paragraphs. And I'm really in intentional about that because I want to like kind of control the pace at which like people are reading it and how they experience the story and pair that with photos that show what was happening in that moment and um so I think that that is really a helpful technique as well and then just being like your own brutal editor like when I edit um my colleagues work I I'm ruthless. You know, I usually cut it by like at least 30%, sometimes more, but I think like just making sure that every phrase and every adjective counts and is potent and dense and concise and like showing kind of respect for your reader's time and making it like a really um, potent experience for them to read your work. That's great advice. Wonderful. Well, our conversation is just getting started. We are talking with Christina Beam, storytelling the right way. After the break, we will dive back in and hear a little bit more about how to overcome some challenges that we might face as we're trying to become better writers. And we'll get into a little more strategy. You know, how how do you get these wonderful stories out to the people who should be reading them? So still have lots more to cover. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back. Did you know that students spend an average of 13% of their waking hours in school by the time they're 18? This leaves parents facing the question of how to fill the remaining 87%. Together with parents and communities, schools share in the joint mission to enrich the lives of children in and outside the classroom. But you can't do it alone. That's where Peach Jar comes in. With Peach Jar, your school can provide more resources, increase engagement with busy parents, and streamline communications so that you can spend more time focusing on celebrating student success. Trusted by more than 17,000 schools in 850-plus school districts, 34,000-plus community organizations, and more than 12 million parents nationwide, Peach Jar delivers resources that help communities thrive. Book a demo at www.peachjar.com today to learn how partnering with Peach Jar can help you streamline your communications process and better connect with your community. 
Welcome back to School PR Drive Time. Christina Bean, Marketing Specialist with New Hanover County Schools, is with us discussing tips and tricks to become stronger storytellers through writing. And it's she's shared so many wonderful things already. And one of the things I'd like to know, Christina, is for folks that might not have multiple people working in their communication shops. You mentioned that you were a one-person band at one time. Um, For folks that might be a one-person shop or only a couple people, do you have any advice for how they can find time to find the stories, develop them, and tell them effectively? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I have been that one-person shop in a K-12 school district and in um, like a two-year college environment. Um, I'm on a team of eight people right now, and I realize how fortunate I am to be in like a robustly staffed um, division, but I, you know, as marketing specialist, I still do a lot. So I'm in charge of all of brand standards and graphic design and marketing campaigns and posters and flyers. And I do editing and speech writing. And so, you know, I really believe that at the core of marketing and branding is good storytelling. So a lot of it is about just prioritizing that above other, other things in terms of the time that I dedicate to it. So, you know, when you're when you're establishing your brand as a school district, you want to make people familiar with your values. And like I said before, really demonstrate how you're living up to them and make them feel like you're doing something that they want to be part of. And I think as human beings, the easiest way to buy into that is, you know, or want to be part of something is believing in the story. So, um, you know, like I said, I prioritize elements that are storytelling. So I work on, on deadline really well, just that's my sort of, um, modus operandi. And so I think, you know, I, I put out a newsletter every week. It goes out on Friday and I might be working right up until five o'clock on Friday to get it out. But, you know, I'm like giving myself that deadline. So I know that I'm, you know, I'm creating at least one story that I'm really excited to share every week. And then sometimes it's just, it just means spending like an extra 15 minutes on posting a Facebook photo, you know, so that the caption sings a little bit more or, ties into your mission as a district a little bit more or tells a little bit more of a story. We're letting go of perfection, you know, on a flyer, something that you know won't land as a, with the same impact, like getting it done well enough so that you have a little more time to try to develop, you know, the things that, um, that really help your brand. And I, I'm probably biased, but I think like, I'm 20 years into my career and I think like reflecting on it, there seems, there seems to be a timelessness to writing and still photography. Like it is like evergreen content that isn't susceptible to like trends and editing or um, graphics. Like I can look at pieces that I wrote 10 or 15 years ago and they absolutely stand the test of time. And there are very few videos that I created in that like era of my career or marketing pieces that I designed that I would still want as part of my portfolio. (laughs) So I think, you know, I think it is um, worthwhile to sort of prioritize that if you're able to. Yeah. And then as we are speaking about your process, how much Mm -hmm. research and how much, uh, I guess, time do you invest before the interview, before going into the interview? Or do you really rely on your interview subject to to get you what you need? Um, So it really depends, like, um, Right now, I'm starting a really exciting project. Um, in, in 1968, I mentioned earlier that um, our school district was sort of forced to finally integrate. And um, 
they at that time the school board felt that the white families would not want to attend the traditionally black high school and so instead of integrating it they just shut it down and it was a really traumatic experience for um for those students and for our black community and they're still really um feeling that trauma and pain and resentment and so the equity leaders in our city county and school district are working together to do like an honorary graduation for those alumni. So we have these really quite active alums in our community who are in their 70s, and we're gonna put them in graduation cap and gowns, and we're gonna give them diplomas, and we're gonna do the ceremony that they never got at that time. And so I'm interviewing a whole bunch of these people and hearing about their experiences in our district. And so like for that, I want to be an informed interviewer. So I'm like doing a more historical research and that sort of thing. But if I go into a story and I feel like I'm meeting with the subject matter expert in this, then I just sort of, like I said before, let the, let the answers lead to the questions and sort of just show my hand in terms of what I don't know and um, just let it happen organically. So it really kind of depends on what, what the story is and how, um, how much context I feel like I need to bring to to the meeting. That's awesome. And I'm already going to be waiting to read those articles that you put together about that graduation, because that is going, oh. going to be amazing. Um, one of the things I noticed in looking at the articles that you've already written is that they have a lot of great pictures with them, photos that I think you took. Um, so how do you think the pictures contribute to what you write? And do they impact your storytelling as you're writing the article? Mm -hmm. Um, I, th I think they absolutely do contribute. And I think that my storytelling process, it includes both of those things. So I was, I had a photography business, um, for 10 years when I lived in Wisconsin and I've always done photography, like professionally, either as a journalist or, um, you know, through my, um, school PR work. And I feel like it just, it complements my writing really well and it informs my writing a lot of times like I'll go back and look at photos and I'll notice um, an expression or a gesture or an interaction that then works its way into my story so they sort of work together in that way um, and then just from a marketing perspective like the algorithm is really kind to feature stories with photos so like the Angela Henry story reached like 35,000 people on Facebook. The one about the teacher giving the Heimlich maneuver reached like 100,000 people. The good ones perform better than almost all of our content. And I'm not entirely sure where that is, why that is, but I think that, you know, the idea that people just want quick things to click on and scroll past, I don't think that's always true. Like, I think there is a, a hunger for like meaningful stories and compelling visuals. Um, and something we're able to sort of tap into that by sharing those. And then, you know, when you have the, that repository of good stories, um, like Stacia said before, then, you know, they make your website a place that prospective families want to actually spend a little time exploring. And they make our Facebook page somewhere, you know, where people trust that they're going to get good content. And this year I even like, made our annual report more like a magazine. Like I included all these sort of obligatory facts and figures, but then throughout there are all, the, all these feature stories that I've written so that if 
someone is sitting in a real estate office or a barbershop or at the front office at a school, like they'll actually want to sort of look through it and, um, and learn, you know, about who we are as a district. That's amazing. So you touched on this a little bit, but I want you to dive a little bit deeper into your strategy for getting those stories to people. Obviously, you know, you've shown us or or told us that um, people are seeing your work and they're really responding to it and it's resonating with them. But talk to me about the, the various steps and the various strategies that you use to try to essentially maximize these great stories once they're done. So the newsletter that I do, um, I started because we like right before I got this position, our superintendent had resigned and there were some scandals um, in the district. There was definitely a void of trust, um, even in our internal audience. And so I wanted to sort of start showing people that we as an institution really like cared about them and their contributions and we wanted to uplift them. And so um, that newsletter goes out every week and it's been really, um, really well received. And I think people, like I said, are just really looking for that sort of feel good um, content. And so that's a big part of it. And then I'm able like to reuse those stories across like our different platforms. So they would be like, teased on Twitter, maybe I would show like four of the photos and tease it and then link it. Um, We have a blog on our website. Facebook is a very active place for our um, school families. And interestingly, like particularly our families of color. Um, And so I'll just share like, Facebook used to offer what they call the note where you could sort of like blog and have the photos like inlaid with the story, but they don't do that anymore. So I just have like a little photo gallery and the story. um, But I think it still lands really well. Um, And so those are the main like ways that I that I share those out. I've had a few times where like um, our local media will pick up the story as is or they'll use it as a jumping off point to tell it on their own. But um, we don't have such a friendly media environment here, which again, I don't think is uncommon, but, um, and so that became again, a motivation for just like telling our own stories on our own property and not, um, not relying on them to amplify good news for us. Yeah. If you don't tell your story, someone else will. Yeah. And you won't like it. Not (laughs) at all. Yeah. Not at all. Well, thank you so much, Christina, for for sharing this with us. We were so excited to have you on and just kind of get a behind the scenes look at the mechanics of how you do what you do. So I certainly appreciate your time. And thanks, Ellen, for co-hosting. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Christina. This was absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thanks to Peach Jar for their support of this episode of School PR Drive Time.